0: Welcome to another episode of Healing Racism in Schools with your host, Charlotte Stevens. And the ancestors, I roll deep with the ancestors that are coming with me. They are coming to get everything the ancestors were promised, and they give me strength because no matter what I'm facing today, it does not compare to what my ancestors survived. I love being a descendant of the enslaved. I love it. I don't have any shame. I had shame as a kid. I don't have shame now. I am so proud of. Um, to be from survivors, to to descend from the survivors. And I just, like I've said before, like there's nothing I can face today that my ancestors didn't face. You know, whatever fear I have, like, oh, my kids might get kidnapped. That happens all the time to my ancestors. Oh, I might be sexually assaulted. That happened all the time to my ancestors. Oh, I might be overworked and underpaid. That happens all the time to my ancestors, right? So that gives me strength. Um, I'm glad that I don't come from people who have just had everything handed to them and had you know had a lifetime of privilege i'm glad I'm glad that I don't come from uh, white privilege and white supremacy that that makes me feel strong because it's just like shit you know if they if they went through it and and I deal with depression right I deal with um bipolar disorder right so i i I deal with depression like and white supremacy is depressing so but I think about um my ancestors and their struggle. I think about they went through too much, and they they um, went through all of that with the hope that you know we could we could I could live the life that I'm living. Like I'm living my, my ancestors' dream, you know, to be able to speak this freely. Um, was a dream to be able to, you know, or, or have this type of um, control and command of the language. To be able to read, to be able to write, to be able to learn how to even, you know, put a podcast out here like that. All, of, all of this is a privilege and an honor. So, I don't take that lightly that sustains me when I'm just like wanting to give up, you know, when I'm just like, I'm over this life and I'm over this fight, right? I'm just like, oh, I can't let the ancestors die in vain. So, should I listen to the ancestors? I roll deep with the ancestors. My dad is um, getting his Black Legend Award for Santa Clara County um, today, super excited about that. He, he's one of the ancestors rolling with me. Uh, and I wanted to talk about the dream deferred. I want to talk about why we became an educator, um, why we got into this field. And some of us, you know, it's sad because a lot of or some people think that I'll just teach, right? If I can't figure out, you know, those who can do and those who can't teach, right? If I can't figure out something to do, if I can't get it together, I can always be a teacher, right? Like that's always available to me. How hard can that be? So, yes, X percent did, did just get into the job because they thought it would be an easy job. But a lot of us got into this because we understand that education has the potential to be the great equalizer and has the potential to really create equity and change and disrupt generational patterns of abuse or poverty or ignorance or whatever, right? And and for those of us who've been persecuted by people who are oppressed, you know, black people, indigenous people, um, various uh, Latinx communities, um, Jewish communities, other communities that have been persecuted, right? We recognize that education can be um, the key element into Disrupting genocide or disrupting um, terror or trauma, all of that, right? Um, The uh, the LGBT community, the trans community, um, various communities, right? Women. we're all hoping that if people got, had more education, right, if they weren't so ignorant about who we were and you know what the truth is, then maybe uh, we could expect less less attacks. For example, what's happening with a lot of the Asian community being attacked right now, and that comes from um, people like Trump perpetuating things like you know saying that the kung the kung flu or the or the Chinese virus, like that ignorance perpetuates violence. And so a lot of us are like, if we could just educate people, there would be less likelihood for violence, right? We, we went into education for. to to make it more just but what we'll sometimes find out is that we end up perpetuating the same systems that we're, that we're trying to change. And it's because our, our education system is saturated on white supremacy. Like that's the foundation of, of, the, of the education system. If you go back, I don't remember which one of the uh, quote unquote founding fathers, that's not what we call them, right? The framers, uh, the white supremacists who built this country. Um, they, they, they said something to the effect that when it comes to education, we just want to educate the creme de creme. We just want to educate the top you know, 10% or 1%. And this was of the straight white, uh, you know, property owning um, group that they are. So they already excluded hella people, right? And just said we're just going to educate the white men, you know, and the Christian white men, the, the ones who own money, who own property, and then of them, we're only going to um, we're only really going to focus uh, or really educate the creme de creme, right? And the rest of these people are just going to are just going to work for us, so that is the foundation of our education system. And so when we try to pretend that like, oh, we're gonna educate everybody, like that's not the core of who we are, right? Like you can try to build it. If the foundation is shaky, like right, or if the, if the, if the foundation of the building, like determines the integrity of the building, right? So we can try to pretend like we're for everybody, but we've never been for everybody. And you see that with the way that with the Native Americans, they had their reform schools. Right? It's, you know, whitewash, you know, they whitewash the natives, they cut their hair, they took away their culture. And that's what we do in schools. We we expect our kids to assimilate and to acclimate to the white middle-class norms of the education system. We do it with our families. We do it unconsciously. We don't even recognize it. And even people of color do it because we're taught that what the white way is the professional way. It is the responsible way. And it's because that's what white supremacy tells you. right? So we all make mistakes. And I've been reflecting on mistakes that I've made in my career and the times where I've just heard myself like like now, like, like just saying, saying things that very representative of the white supremacist mentality right so i remember um i was yelling at this seventh grade black boy in my class um and he he was just being a seventh grader right being obnoxious but also he was you know he would he would like tease um the classmates and it was probably because he was short and insecure himself but i remember yelling at him in the hallway and i was just telling them man up right man up take your responsibility for what you did and you know you want to cause all this disruption in my class and be defiant well then man up and, and and take it handle it right and the reason why i think that's toxic or that i think that's just not no i'll say toxic, toxic um it's telling boys to be men and then telling little black boys adultifying black boys adultifying black black people adultifying black children um, my girls get adultified too but i'm not about that but I was saying things that I have heard, and that's the thing: is like when we just kind of unconsciously, um, I don't teach, or when we're, we're not, when we're not doing all that we can to align ourselves with our values and remind ourselves what our values are and who we want to be, and, and be real intentional about this teaching. If you just default um, and let the stress and the low pay and the anxiety and the frustration get to you, you will find yourself saying things that you're not trying to represent. And so that was, um, at the time, I didn't have the, the wherewithal to really understand. Um, I knew I didn't want to communicate like that. I knew I was not being who I wanted to be for this young Black boy. Like, I'm, 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 I'm a Black woman. I wanted to I wanted to be something different for him. Um, but I didn't, I wasn't. And, and in the moment, I didn't have it. I didn't have, and I didn't have the education and the, 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 it wasn't provided, right? These conversations, these teachings are often not provided um, unless we, invest in the resources so i remember that i remember uh the very beginning of my career um i had a class full of uh primarily english language learners primarily mexican students in east side san jose where there was a lot of trauma a lot of trauma and um i really was not prepared to teach, teach english language learners and i was not presented um with the like the reframing like, which is what happens. With our English language learners, we treat them often like they're they're special education. We treat them often also, also, like there's some type of um, learning d- deficit. And instead of like, you know multiple languages, like you know, you know what I mean? Like you have access to these different languages, which is like actually, especially as a child, which is which is an amazing skill, an amazing resource. Like your, your brain has these these added abilities to do things because you learned your acquiring languages at a, at a young age, right? That's amazing. I didn't have the resources. And I didn't know how to reach these kids um, because I was brand new. I was a brand new teacher, right? I was a brand new teacher and um, I just saw kids misbehaving. And I remember saying to another teacher, um, he was a Mexican man. I said, these kids just don't want to learn. And he, and I, I so appreciate him telling me like, you can't say that, like, that's not true. You know, that's not, that's not the truth don't say that and I think that he like at some point was like you know you sound that sounds racist like that's what the racists say right and I had to like kind of reflect on like holy crap like that's what teachers would have said about me you know what I mean like when I was when I was acting up in class like it looked like I just didn't want to learn right but it's like I don't want to learn the crap that you're teaching I don't want to learn you know in a system that's unfair and a system that's constantly telling me that like I'm not valued like I, I don't feel safe here I don't feel heard here so yeah it's gonna look like I don't wanna learn. And so what happens in our classrooms sometimes is that we think, it's defiance, right? That's the other mistake I used to do, referrals for defiance. We, we think it's defiance. Um, you're not obeying me. You're not falling into line. You're not listening. Like, how are you going to fall into line when everybody else is bossing around? You need to learn how to take orders. You, know, you need to learn how to, how to follow directions. And we do this with, with kids of color. We don't do this with, with white kids. We don't do this with um, kids who whose intellects we respect or or expect, right? We we like it when they think outside the box. We like it when they're innovative. But with kids of color, we're like, follow line. You better listen. You better follow orders and so I remember deferrals for refiance and and now I'm thinking you know how much of that was resistance and resistance to you trying to break down my, my mental my mental health. My, my, your resistance to you trying to ruin my self esteem. Resistance to you trying to indoctrinate me with this white supremacist cur- curriculum. This resistance to you you know making me feel bad about who I am. You know making me hate my melanin, making me hate my culture. Like you know it it might look like defiance to a student who does not have tools, who does not have right, who does not have resources. So like, how can a kid resist? In your classroom, because perhaps what you're teaching or what you're doing, you know, consciously or unconsciously might be reflecting a white supremacist mentality or a toxic masculinity mentality or or transphobic or whatever. So how can a kid resist respectfully in your classroom? There has to be room for that. There has to be an opportunity for kids to say no. I don't, I don't accept that. Like, because learning is not supposed to be about, like, just, just this, there's one way to look at this, right? Learning's supposed to be multiple ways. That's the beauty of diversity, right? That's the beauty of, and people trip over the word diversity, but just think about it in the rainforest, right? We need a variety of stuff. It's just basic, right? It's science. We need a variety because then we have more success in, in, in the world. That's how it goes. So, you know, where is there room? Is there room for that in your classroom? Or does that kid get told, you know, like we saw in, um, a recent TikTok where the black kid was black kids are being gaslit around the, uh, around slavery, and the, they were they were you know they were re- resisting what the teacher was saying, and the teacher wants to say, let me you know let me tell you what's up before I kick you out, and it's like, why are you threatening to kick me out? Why is my education and my access to my education now being threatened? Because I don't want to go along with what you're telling me. How can students respectfully resist in your classroom? Is there a space for that? So I wanted to play this hella dope poem. It's not mine, it's on YouTube. It is from the Poetry Slam 2016 National Poet Society, NPS uh, Finals, House Slam, Ashley Davis in umpa, umpa. oh, and Oompa. Um, and the poem is called Simon Says. It's so powerful. And um, I played this for one of my trainings. It's one of the things that's really stood out with my my group of um, educators and school leaders, and it, it stands out for me, too, and you'll hear yourself, you know? Like, hopefully you won't, but you li- likely you will. You're going to hear yourself in this poem, and it's going to be um, have a lasting effect with you. So check it out. It's three minutes long. Again, it's not mine. It's National Poetry, Inc. I uh, highly recommend you subscribe, and this type of poetry is dope in your classroom. Like, your students will respond and be really excited, especially when they hear from other young people using their creativity to fight back. All right, check it out. in Georgia.
1: it's
0: real it's so real I remember schools um, I worked out in the past and they they wanted me to police these kids right like be on about their uniform and standing in line and shut up and I'm just like God I'm just not about that right like that's just that's not who I am I wasn't that kid you know what I mean you want me to police myself you want me to kick me out of class and I was kicked out of class right like I'm not, I didn't get into education to be that. I didn't get an education to put down kids or to disrespect kids. And that's, it's hard when that's your paycheck, right? And it's like, they they pay you next to nothing teachers. It's so sad, y'all need to get your own business. I mean, that's a whole nother thing I'm gonna do, but quick tips, y'all can make workshops and charge. like real money. Y'all could be speaking, make real money. Y'all, y'all, all your expertise, you could be packaging it. It's not as hard as you think. And you don't have to be tutoring and Ubering and doing all these low cost things I see on the internet. But that's a whole nother podcast. That's a whole nother, we'll get that later. Um, but it's just like, to be in that position where you feel like you have to be the oppressor you know, in order to keep your job. And unfortunately, I've had these experiences regardless of whether my my uh, person leadership was of color or not. You know, it's, it's because the whole institution is a white supremacist institution. So it's really hard to even move up as a person of color, as a, as a leader of color and not sell out. Not, you know, like you're, you're gonna be subjected to all kinds of abuse on your way up. And so it's hard to just to, to, to stay grounded in, I want to, be the leader that leads my school you know to being anti-racist to, to being inclusive to unlearning racism to really providing that education for all of us you know um, that that's the reason why so many of us got into education like you know to, to to stay true to that as you're moving up through the ranks is going to be challenging because you know for lack of a better way to say it it's a mind, it's a mind funk. <laughs> kept it PJ. It's a mind funk. Um, I've been to a lot of, a lot of, a lot of schools and, um, some of the charter schools where they were having remarkable results with the academic achievements with their, with their, their black and Brown, um, kids sounded a lot like, that you know, eat faster, eat faster. Stop talking. Why are you talking? Right. Stand in line. Tuck in your uniform. And I, and I remember having to do that, and I I didn't want to, right? Like, and a lot of times I, I just told myself like I'm not here for that. I'm not here to police kids, right? But at the same time, when you're when your supervisors are walking by and they see you not doing that, then you're you're you might be up for punishment. But I think that what always came down to for me is like I told my I was real clear about why I was in education. And I've never been afraid to walk away from a job. I just, I, I trust the universe has got me and the universe has had me. I've walked away from jobs more than once where I had nothing lined up, right? Like I was just like, I know where I'm not going to be. I know where I'm not, I know I'm not staying. And some, some of y'all like, you know, need to have that type of backbone, or need, and need to have that type of faith, right? We talk about faith, but like have some faith that if you're at a school that does not serve you and is not serving the students in a way that is good for you, and you find yourself stressed out and you got all these health problems, and maybe that's not where you need to be. And having faith that you can do, you can do something else, like either go to another school, or you can you can start. There's other ways to serve kids and other ways to to fight this fight. It doesn't have to be always within the school system because the school system, I mean, that is, um, it's a system, and trying to change a system is exhausting and trying to change a system on a teacher's salary <laughs> you ain't got it boo like you know what I mean like good luck good luck you're gonna burn yourself out so what was I gonna say it's really important that we respect our students and this is this is a major flaw I see in adults period and I, I I remember part of what fuels my respect is I remember being 14 years old and my mom was like on my Ass and she needed to be, cause man, I, I made a lot of interesting choices. by the grace of God, I am here. Thank you, Lord. Um, she needed to be, but I but I remember so vividly the feeling with her and my father. Like you have no idea what it is like to be a teenager. You have totally forgotten and are completely out of touch with what. I'm dealing with like basic stuff. Like, you know, I, I didn't, I didn't have the words for at the time, but like, mom, I don't have an executive functioning. Like this whole thing where you expect me to like analyze my choices and think about consequences. That part of my brain not even developed yet. Right. Like I can't even feel like, I can't even know. She always wanted me to get planner. She was all about getting me on a planner. I was like, mm, no. Right. And just, I, I don't have the capacity point. the point was, is that I really felt like her and my father completely forgot and the the average adult completely forgot what it was like to be a kid and I told myself I will not forget what it is like to be a teenager and I'm going to be you know more compassionate to teenagers because they're dealing with so much so for example you know, 14 and now I'm 41. Ooh, flip those numbers. Um, I'm so confident now, right? I would not even put a podcast out when I was 14. I'd be like, oh my God, no one's gonna listen to me, no one's gonna make fun of me. What are people gonna say? I don't care what people say. once you're 41, what you realize is that people are gonna say something regardless. You do it, they're gonna say something, you don't do it, they're gonna say something. Who cares? And and also like I'm closer to death where I'm like, I gotta do things before I die. I don't have forever. Let's let's do this while I can still talk. So um but my point is, is that we have to respect kids. We have to remember, you know, that they are people with opinions, and like we can't just disrespect them. So, for example, when I discipline a student, when I tell a student, "Yo, whatever, put that away," right? Um, I will tell them to put it away, and then I will go away. Right? I'm gonna trust that that kid's gonna do it, and I'm gonna walk away and give them space, and, and put that confidence in them. They're like, yeah, I know you got, I know you hurt me, I know you got it, and I'm, I got like so much like control over all of this. Like I'm not even worried about it, right? What I'm not gonna do is stand over that kid and glare at them and huff and puff and keep telling them to put it away. No you did that to me as a kid, I'm going to be like, oh, oh, you want to do that? Let's let's, let's play this game, right? Like, I need the space. And also, like, let kids save face, right? If you respect that kid, you would understand that this kid is in a peer group right now, right? And and maybe, like, maybe, yeah, he's in a peer group, right? They're in a peer group. There's this child. It's really a heat, is in a peer group, and they're concerned about how they're being perceived. So like, I need to let this kid say face, just like I wanna say face when I mess up, right? So even a better way of, of, of addressing that would be not even telling the kid put that away in front of everybody, but having some nonverbal cue or finding a way to, to do that on the side, right? I'm like, Yo, you, you take care of that? Or keep it on the low, right? No one wants to be embarrassed. And so that, that type of stuff about respect, right? And too often with our, our black and brown kids, we lord over them, we treat them like they're, you know, um, little inmates. We treat. Wait, we shouldn't treat them like that. We treat them like they're like they're enslaved uh, free peoples on the freaking plantation. We want to lord over them. We want to. We want to make sure they're ready to take the abuse that white America has for them. You better follow line. You better follow orders. You better listen up because that's what's waiting for you. I don't want to be that. A lot of us don't want to be that, and it's hard because your school rewards that, or you know, sometimes does reward that. You know, and they expect black and brown kids to to be in trouble and we need to understand and maybe reframe that as these this is resistance you know this is resistance and we have not taught the kids how to resist we have not given them tools or the means where they can say you know what I'm not I'm not feeling this, and the, and the thing is, like, they're not always going to be that articulate. They're kids, right? They're not going to be like, "Yo, I feel like this is not representing who I am," you know, as as a as a person of color. I feel like this is a white supremacist curriculum. I feel like this is white centering. They don't have those words. Have we taught them those words? They don't have those words. Do you know those words? They don't have those words. So some of that behavior you see in your class is resistance, and they're mad, and it, it's um you feel it like you, you you sense it on all these different levels. It's what you see. It's what you hear. It's. It's, it's, it's all of it, and um, the average white teacher is so saturated in whiteness that you, like I had a teacher who said <clears throat> she was uh, Jewish and white, and she said that, you know, sometimes she, she talked about her notice, her, her pay attention to herself as a Jewish person, but most often she saw herself as a white person, and she never really thought about racism unless she was in the context of people of color. And the problem with that is that you, that means you spend most of your time unconscious of white supremacy and racism which means you're probably you know you're you're passively or actively perpetuating it and the only time that you're conscious of that is when a person of color is around well there's not that many people of color around in most white communities because most white people hang out with 93% other white people so 93% of the time you're not doing anything to reduce the harm but you're you're absolutely you know contributing passively or or or, or actively to the harm right like and that's The average white person, so it's like we're seven for seven percent of the time. You're like, oh, maybe I should do something different. So, that being said, you got blind spots that you like the size of like you know the Grand Canyon. That so you can have the the best intentions and still have a classroom full of students who are resistant because it's not enough. And regardless, you might be maybe your classroom is lit and 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 woke and informed and and not as white supremacist as the rest of the classrooms, but. You're working within a system, in a context, and is your book? I'm sure you're, the books you're reading are probably racist. The curriculum is probably racist, so it doesn't matter, right? So, like, we need to provide students with a means to resist, like a means to to raise their hand. I remember I was, I was at a teacher training, and they were talking about um, making the the assignment was to write letters to the Pope um, to asked for more missions, more missions um for to re educate the Native Americans. And I was I asked, what about the kid who doesn't want to write that letter? What about the kid who wants maybe their letter is like, you need to just get rid of these missions, like this is horrible and your missions are horrible and this is a tool of white supremacy. Like is is that an option? And amongst this this group, none of them was primarily white white teachers, none of them had considered that, and we're like, huh, like, mm. like, I didn't, I didn't even think about that, because I'm like, I wouldn't write that letter, knowing what I know now, like, oh, oh, and, and that is such a white supremacist perspective, right, and so, like, if I'm the kid, or, or my kid, let's be real, if my kid was in the class, my kids would be like, this is, this is some white supremacist BS, like, my son, at the end of his report from Mount Rushmore, said he's eight years old in the third grade. He said, um, "By the way, this was stolen land because Mount Rushmore was a specifically a, a sacred area to the native peoples of that of that uh, region, and this is a, a monument to white supremacy." He's eight, right? And in the wrong school, my my son would have been kicked out for that, right? Like, oh, it's like this is American whatever, like memorabilia, or you can't say that about our country, la la la. Um, But two things, you know, fortunately, that's not what's happening at his school. And I contacted his teachers beforehand um, and my daughter's teachers and let them know like, oh yeah, you gonna hear that from my kids. And we know our rights. And let me let you know who I am and what I do. Um, And so I know that you will do right by my kids. Uh, And I I suggest every parent reach out and let parents, let these teachers know like, "Um, yeah, the whole white supremacist curriculum thing ain't happening on our watch. And my kids will let you know, and then I'll let you know. Um, And then the rest of my community will let you know if you need some more information. So we have to be thoughtful about who we are as educators and why we got into education and be honest about needing help. And the average school needs help because these things are not taught in teacher training. And we are too often, you know, taught to be tools of white supremacy. So that's why I have my business. And that's why if you need help, Please reach out. So, healing racism in schools at gmail is where you can find access to my services. I have a new program called 90 Days to Becoming an Anti Racist School, and I'm making it an incredible um, resource, online resource to go with it. I'd love to tell you more about it, but you're going to have to reach out to get it. So, healing racism in schools, happy to help you develop, you know, anti racist educators in your school in your district. Thank you so much for this episode of Healing Racism in Schools. And I look forward to hanging out again at our next episode.